This podcast is brought to you by Estee Lauder Company's UK and Ireland's breast cancer campaign. The campaign helped to make the opening of Future Dreams House possible and continues to raise millions to help end breast cancer. The house offers practical and emotional support to those diagnosed with the disease. Hello, and thanks for listening to And Then Came Breast Cancer podcast from the Future Dreams charity. It's the podcast for everyone who's been told they have breast cancer, for that moment and for everything that comes afterwards. Usually our presenter is Victoria Derbyshire, herself a breast cancer survivor, but today she's been held up with the BBC's coverage of the crisis in Ukraine. So today it's me, Louise Court, in the chair. I'm a journalist and have worked for Future Dreams for six years. An important point before we go on, today's episode is called Breast Cancer and the Fear of Dying. Today we're going to talk frankly, as we always do on this podcast, about death itself and the fear of death. You may feel that this will be upsetting, too close to home, and you might prefer to listen to another episode, and that is completely understandable. But today I have with me a group of very impressive women who are going to talk about this most difficult subject and I'll let them introduce themselves. My name's Clara. I am a broadcaster and content creator. I currently work for the BBC and I lost my mum to breast cancer when I was nine years old. And for me, that experience completely changed the trajectory of my whole entire life. Um, I think it's shaped me and the person that I am and created the life that I've gone on to lead. But my family did not talk about death. They didn't talk about grief and it hugely impacted me. And it meant that as a child, I had to try and process something that I had no clue what it was. I didn't know what this thing was and I didn't know how to deal with it. There was no real support system. There was no real support network. And I think for my family, it was just because they didn't know how else to do things. Their kind of way was to just put on the strong front and get on with things. And I adopted that publicly, but behind closed doors, I was an absolute mess. And that continued to impact my life hugely until the death of my sister in my uh, in my late 20s which was when I finally decided to address the grief that I'd suffered as a child. Hi um, my name's Jess the first really experience of the death I had was was my grandmother dying when I was 10 um, who I was very close to sort of she looked after me a lot um, before that I, I can remember having fears of you know coming down and like when you're going to bed and coming down and being like Mummy, I'm afraid you're going to die and and, uh, not understanding it. And of course, that was quite young and you're kind of reassured of, oh, it's not going to happen now and it's something you don't have to worry about. Um, That was about it. And then when my grandmother died, um, yeah, it was was really devastating. I was still similar to um, to you, you know, very young and and so hard to understand what that is and how someone can be there and then be gone. Um, uh, I think with my mum, I did, did talk about it a bit or you know they gave gave um their thoughts on it or their kind of tried to share sort of their feelings and thoughts a bit um but yeah it's very hard subject for for people who are also grieving to talk about um I think my mum would talk about you know memories and things um rather than maybe what it means to live and die and uh, yeah hi there um my name's Gillian um 
I think kind of similar to what the other ladies are saying. I think I was probably slightly older when somebody in my family kind of passed away, like was my gran as well. And but yeah, it was never spoke about um as a child. It was never really, you know, I didn't I don't remember like somebody passing away when I was really quite young. I was in my teens when, you know, when my gran passed away and but even it wasn't spoke about. And then as an adult, I've came and I lost my dad a couple of years ago. And again, you know, it was like, you just, nobody really spoke about it. Like you're saying, like others said, like you speak about memories and things, but never really actually proper dealing with actual grief. Um, or yeah, it's just never a subject. My, I don't know if my family are just like kind of closed books or if that's really quite normal. It's, yeah, by the sounds of it, it's a lot of people are the same and they don't know how to, uh, you know, touch on it or they just think of just, you know, keep it to yourself kind of thing. It's a difficult one. Catherine, I mean, you are an expert now as a doctor in palliative care, but but when you were growing up, was it spoken about? Was death spoken about? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've never really stopped to think about this before. But I grew up in a house where my mum's dad had died before her first birthday. And when her mother was actually pregnant with what was her fifth child, but the oldest child had already died of diphtheria, you know, something we'd routinely immunize children against now. And my father's uh, only sister. He had two younger brothers, but his only sister had also died of an infectious disease at the age of about 18 months. And they spoke about those people and they spoke about those deaths. So I grew up knowing that people could die and that little people could die. Um, and so although I was never closely bereaved as a child or a young person, which is a great good fortune, I think, I was always aware of the precariousness of life and living. So my mum got breast cancer for the first time just after she'd given birth to my brother, my younger brother. Um, and the doctor kind of passed it off as a milk duct infection. So it got left. She had a mastectomy and she was in remission for years. And then when I was kind of about eight or nine, the, the breast cancer came back and it was it was everywhere by this point. I think she'd gone to have a check, her yearly checkup, and they'd found that it had kind of spread everywhere. But what happened is that I guess as a child, and, and this is been touched upon I didn't know that people who weren't old died like that was my understanding of death it's like death happens to old people and that's okay because they've lived their life and so even though my mum was really really ill as a child I just thought she's going to get better and I remember the only time that anyone ever spoke to me about the fact that my mum could die and she was in and out of hospices but I was nine I didn't know what hospice was I thought it was just a hospital or somewhere you know where people go to be looked after and I was you know always trying to make people laugh and, and try and make people joke but we were watching a TV show once and the lady in the TV show died of cancer and my dad said that's what your mum has so as in the same disease and it scared me. And I remember looking at my mum and just saying, mum, but you're going to be here till I'm 18, aren't you? You're going to be here at least until I'm 18. Because I figured by that point, I would be an adult and I could look after myself. And on the day she died, by this point, she was at home and we were allowed to go in to say good morning and to say good night because she was so medicated and so exhausted that she just didn't have energy for us. And so... 
I'd said goodbye to her and gone to school. And when um, it was pickup time from school, I'd run out of school and gone straight to my friend's mum because I went to Brownies, obviously. Um, so I'd gone to, to my friend's mum, gone back to my friend's house, whereas my brother and sister had been picked up by my grandparents to be taken home. And my dad had had to call my friend's mum. She had to take me home. And as we were going up the driveway to my house, I could see like an ambulance, a van and loads of cars. And I just knew, like I knew something was not right right and my dad walked up to to meet me and he just looked at me and said your your mum's died and I went walked into a house of of kind of adults and my brother and sister who I guess were grieving but there was never this kind of uh, collective um like a blanket or acceptance of what what had happened and it was all very individual and I remember that we slept in my grandparents house that night because we lived on the same farm as them and they had a, a house there as well. And I remember waking up the next day and I knew that everything looked the same, but nothing was ever going to be the same again. And that really hit me. And my dad, his thing was, we just get on with it. We just have to get on with it. And I guess that was his survival mechanism. But it then made me feel like I can't upset him. I can't show any emotion in front of him. I have to be like him. Um, and I actually went to school the next day after my mum had died. I was like, no, that's it. You know, I want to go to school. I feel like I need to take on this kind of um, uh, like the same attitude as my family. My grandparents were there as well. But it was this kind of not even stiff upper lip. It was just, you know, we'll try and turn things into humour. Let's keep things light. Let's, you know, pretend that like this hasn't happened. And what happened for me and manifested very quickly is that I would lock myself in my room every night, even as a 10 year old child, because no one was coming to check and I would cry hysterically. And this was every single night. And all I would say over and over again is I want my mum back. I want my mum back. And that was it. And I could not comprehend that she was gone and I could not comprehend how to to process the fact that she was gone um but I never felt like I could tell anyone all I wanted was for someone to find me I wanted someone to find me and to be able to just kind of hug me and say it's going to be okay but no one came and so it had that had a huge impact on my life and I think as I've done a lot of work on myself what I understand is that from that experience I learned that I can never have what I want and it impacted my education, it impacted, you know, my career because I just, anything that I started, I always believed I can never have what I want and it just became pointless. Life became pointless. And then you um, obviously lost your sister. Yeah. Um, my sister got breast cancer at 25 and then she she died at 31. So six and a half years she was ill. And during that time, she and I became so close. But I took on the same role that I'd seen in childhood because I still hadn't processed my mum's death I'd had eating disorders my life was a chaotic mess if I'm being honest externally by that point it might have looked relatively successful I was presenting I was interviewing people but I was not happy I was not okay and um, when Emily got ill I found out that I carried the BRCA1 gene mutation as well but I just kind of pushed that to one side it was all about her and she was kind of ill almost consecutively for six and a half years it just was relentless so there was operations there was chemo there was radiotherapy and I would go to a lot of those things with her I'd take her I'd stay in her hospital room until I got kicked out I'd <laughs> I'd escape her out of hospital when she wasn't supposed to in a wheelchair and kind of take her and do things and we had this kind of jovial relationship and again no I don't know if 
she knew that she was going to die. I used to look at her and just think, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen next, but none of us would talk about death. What I learned after she died is that she had spoken to my grandparents and she cried to my grandparents about the fact that she was scared of dying. And what this has made me feel is like that's my only regret in life. My only regret in my whole entire life is that I did not have that conversation with my sister because I feel like, of course, it's a really difficult conversation to have to talk about death, but I think it would have made everything so much easier for her and I think it would have made everything different for me as well. And I can't go back and I can never, ever, ever have that conversation with her. And so when it comes to, you know, kind of looking at my life, that's the one thing that I just think she was so alone in that. She was so alone and I wish that I could have met her there and had that conversation with her. Um, but what I will say about her passing is that it changed my life. And I say that my sister dying is the best thing that ever happened to me. And obviously I don't mean it literally because I wish that it hadn't happened, but I also understand I can't fight reality. This is the reality of my life. And I made a decision shortly after my sister died that there has to be another way for me to exist, that I can't continue to live my life the way that I had since my mum died. And so um, that's when kind of, I guess, my journey to sort myself out for want of a better term began and my driving force is always my mum and sister can't be here but I am here and that means that I you know I have to do the best that I can do for them. There's a lot of nodding going on from our other guests particularly when Clara was talking about having to use humour as a sort of shield or to avoid difficult conversations. Um, Before we go into your individual stories um, Jess and Gillian, but is that something that you can identify with? I think yes, or humour, or, or just lightness, and kind of feeling that you need to um, keep things a light level. And you're already um, sorry. I'm just going to say that that you know it's heartbreaking your story. And um, yeah, just thinking of you being on your own is is really heartbreaking. And I'm so glad that you're you know come. Have, worked on yourself like you said and and, um, not feeling like that as well of course it doesn't go but um, but I think yeah it's it's already when you've got a diagnosis and I think when you're you know you're having to tell your family and your friends about it you're already bringing such a like heavy weight to them Mm -hmm. Um, and you know you're already putting a lot on them especially like the ones closest to you to, to really like open up and share that the biggest fear that anyone can have I think and and share that and really talk about it I think it fit, it's felt too much for me to share with them um you know to put on them but I think also at times where I have a little bit it, it bristles and you know it's, it's hard it's really hard for them and that's what they're afraid of and they want you to go like they kind of I think you know push it back and go no like it's like you know you don't need to talk about whatever you know push it back somehow it's something you don't want to face um and but I think when you are facing it you need to talk about it in and um yeah when you're just left on your own with it like you were yeah it's the hardest thing because it it just doesn't make any sense does it does it feel for you quite isolating as because obviously it's almost like you're in the position that I suppose that my sister was in as someone who's been diagnosed with breast cancer and and I can imagine you know oh I can't imagine what that feels like and just you saying that where it's like you're putting the pressure and stress on yourself it just must feel really isolating because you can't just say no I'm really scared about this yeah yeah I think you know you have to do that feeling like 
people want you to be okay. Of course, they're desperate for you to be okay. So they want you to be strong and to be reassuring for them. I mean, the piece, people sort of that I'm closest to, my mum, my husband, I ha- haven't been able to really talk about that at all with them because it's, it's such a raw, you know, touches such a raw nerve for them. Mm. Um, you know, my mum, I think, most of the time has, has been... Um, Oh, she's been great, but she's, you know, she's she's not been dismissed. I don't want to say that she's dismissive of it at all, but she's just been like, it's okay, you're okay. Like, you know, mm. a bit kind of in denial, I guess, about about the seriousness of it. And um, and and friends, you know, you, you know, they're very concerned about how you are, but you don't want to kind of really pull back to that kind of like, well, this is this is my, you know, this is what I'm really afraid of, and mm. and you want to kind of keep it. Like and at times you really want to keep it light for you because you're going, you know, you are going through it all and and you want a distraction. But at other times you you actually you need somebody to talk to about it because it's all it going on in your head and you're just not making any sense of it. Mm. I don't know how that feels or how that feels for you. You were diagnosed with primaries a year ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jess, and and your prognosis is good. It is good. Yeah. So I mean, I'm incredibly lucky. Um, you know, so far. So I also, I um, in twenty twenty, I had a daughter, and so she she was ten months um, when I was diagnosed. Um, I didn't uh, saying I I, I well, I didn't realise I had family history, but I did actually. Mm. My my paternal grandmother did die of breast cancer, which I didn't realise because it wasn't talked about. Mm. Um, and um, but so it was it was really out of the blue. I um, just didn't factor that into something I was even worried about I, I found a lump similar to your mum you know I was still breastfeeding I found a lump thought it was a, a blocked duct um, was kind of like oh well a little bit of worry but it's going to be nothing like don't worry about it um, and then so when I found out it was cancer it just really like blew me away like I just just couldn't get my head around it it was, it was devastating um, I'm sure it is for anybody even if you are aware of it but um, yeah, I was just, I was absolutely, my, my first thoughts and when I didn't know what my prognosis was, was I was just the terror of leaving my daughter. Mm. And, you know, she was so, so young, a baby and, um, sorry, okay. but, um, you know, just like you said, you don't, even though I'm older and, and you do realise awful things happen, but your, my concept of, you know, how life pans out with that, because I didn't have any thought oh this is going to happen to me I kind of you know you think oh I'm in my 30s I'm going to have some children and I've had my like had a bit of career and then I'll go back to my career and then I'll you know and then we'll do this and then might go like do a little adventure do something you know all these like not totally formulated plans but like things that you're just kind of you've got a bit of life sort of a little life plan spanned out ahead of you and then you think oh and then I'm going to be old and have grandchildren and and you kind of you know you think oh well I you do know that that couldn't be the case, but you push it to the back of your head and you think, well, that that will be, that will be what happens. And then so when you're suddenly going, God, this could all end really soon or, you know, this this could not be the plan at all, it just just kind of makes your life spin. Um, I don't know, even then, thank you know, I'm really thankful that I was lucky that it was caught early and it, we operated, we did chemo and, and radiotherapy and, and hopefully in that, it's all just finished in December and like hopefully that is that I'm going to be good hopefully you never know like, this is the thing it, it could come back I know that very much and you kind of feel like you're just you know 
you're, you're, it's there mm-hmm. for sure. Um, everyone says, oh, oh, great. So, you, you know, that's it. It's done. It's, I don't think it's not like it's, it's still there. Um, but thankfully at the moment, you know, it seems to be that, that that's the treatment has gone well. Um, and it was caught early, but uh, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but it's just, it's, I think it's, it's just brings that into your life and that you suddenly have, have to face up to like, you know, you, you can't guarantee that you're going to have this, this life as you planned. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, or a long life even, or, or um, you know, things could happen tomorrow and, and just dealing with that fear of, I could leave my daughter. Um, yeah. Mm. And, and I just think hearing you talk is it's that kind of reminder that when it comes and why this podcast is so important and why this conversation is so important because just acknowledging that I guess death is one of the possibilities it doesn't mean that that's what you think is going to happen or that's what you believe is going to happen but it's just being able to say like I'm scared I'm really scared and to be held in that space and to have support in that space which I think Otherwise, it, you're just holding on to it, and that mm. must feel like a huge weight. Gillian, how do you feel um, hearing this conversation? Obviously, my story is slightly different. It's not distant. Obviously, Clara, you're, you know, your mum and your sister. Um, I have secondary breast cancer, so I didn't have primary breast cancer, or I did, but I didn't know. Um, so hearing your story is 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 different because. Well, you're hopefully you don't get to where I am. Mm. Um, whereas I am basically stuck with it. It's not going to go anywhere. Um, it's it's different knowing that you're. Uh, I've not been told what you're going to be X amount of years or months. Right now, treatment's going quite well. Um, I was diagnosed straight into secondaries. Um, I had back pain. And, uh, you know, you just don't think. You know, I was 30, what was I, 38, which is a lot older than some. You know, some girls are a lot younger than me, but I was running half marathons. I'd climbed in Nevis. You feel like you're fit and you're healthy. And then this is, you know, sort of come from a bit of back pain. Ended up in... Uh, getting I've got metal rods in my spine so yeah life changed dramatically really quickly um and it's kind of going back to you know the humor thing that you were asking about to begin with. um like you know my mum sometimes I try and have a conversation with her my mum's 74 and oh no don't be silly you know you're going to be here much longer than me and it's like nobody really wants to to speak about it, you know, and like actually accept because they're so close to you, like we've spoken about before, like they don't want to have this conversation with you, but nobody really does. And a lot of people you get, oh, you're going to beat this. You're so strong. And I'm like, no, I'm actually not going to. Yeah, I might beat it as in stay alive as long as possible, but you're, I'm never going to beat it. It's never going to go anywhere. So that is, I don't, you worry about like, dying obviously you know then when it comes to that right now I feel quite fit and healthy the treatment's uh, working at the moment um, but you then it's more like I worry about what I'm leaving behind um, like I think oh goodness I remember when I was in the hospital I wrote a big list for my husband because he had no clue 
who the mortgage was with. He had no clue who the cats were insured with. <laughs> he had no clue what vets to take them to. And so all these things go through your head. So I wrote this big list of things. And still now I think I need to update this list in case something happens, because really I just never know. And again, I try and have this conversation with my husband and he'll be like, oh, we don't need to worry about that. Just now, you know, there's, you know, don't be silly, treatment's working. And it is difficult, but, um, you know, nobody wants to accept the fact, no, you, you actually need to know these things because you just really, I just don't know. I mean, nobody knows, mm. but I now know that really it's going to happen. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's a strange position to be in, to be honest. Catherine, um, how are these very common conversations that you hear or feelings that you hear in your work? Uh, I just want to thank you, first of all, for being so honest and, and, and putting it there for us all to think about. And I almost feel as though I already know you because I've met your sisters, if you like. I've met people who've, who've walked this path and heard so many people say exactly what you're saying and what they describe is the loneliness of being in that awful place, almost like you, Clara, in in your bedroom in that farmhouse, crying on your own and no comfort coming. And those people who love us, trying to help us to feel better, and so they use humor or they use reassurance. So it's not that bad. You're not that bad yet. Think about all of the people who are worse than you. Um, and somehow what they think they're doing is helping. Mm. They're trying to prevent the distress of going to that place. So it's done from love, isn't it? It's absolutely done from love. But it leaves people in their lonely place of strong emotions, fear, sorrow, grief, and nobody there with them. And I've heard that so many times that eventually, the reason I'm here is that I'm a palliative care doctor and I wrote a book about dying. And what I was trying to do was help people understand what happens when ordinary dying happens, because none of us have seen it, we've seen it on EastEnders and we've seen it on the cinema and they soup it up like mad to make it dramatic for the screen. And ordinary dying is so much less extraordinary than that and so much gentler than that. And that's something I hope we're going to talk about later. Um, And I thought that was it me done then, you know, I've had this career in palliative care and I'm kind of trying to give the wisdom back about ordinary dying and I'm I'm off now into my retirement. And then I had this massive correspondence from people saying, we need to talk about this stuff, but my kids won't let me, you know, I'm 90 and my kids will not let me talk about dying. How long do they think I'm going to live? I'm 30. I have extensive lung cancer. I know I'm not going to see another Christmas. I can't get my wife to talk to me about the will and the mortgage and things like that. Or I have the other thing of people saying, I want to talk to my dying friend, but I'm really frightened that if I start to talk about it, we'll never 
have an ordinary conversation again. It's like it'll be out of the box and it'll spoil everything forever. So am I doing the wrong thing if I unwrap it? So I ended up writing another book about these conversations. And I've called it what I think is the thing that's missing. It's called listen. Mm. Because actually, while we're trying to fix it, while we're trying to cheer you up, while we're trying to think about how much worse it could be, we're not listening. And what you've all spoken about is how what you need is companionship for a little bit of time while you sit in that place of thinking about those dark but possible things and get your head around them and maybe feel awful and maybe cry and maybe feel really frightened and then move gradually back kind of up the staircase out of that dark cellar and back into the rest of your life where all the rest of the ordinary things are still happening. And if people won't be our companions there, we still go there, but we have to go there on our own. And you've all described how lonely that is. And I think us talking about it now for the podcast, I really hope that's going to help other people to think, first of all, I'm not unusual in wanting to talk about this, needing to talk about this. And secondly, to point their friends or their family to this episode of the podcast and say, you need to listen to this because that will help you to understand why I need to talk about this. And then we need to talk. So how do you start the conversation then? Well, I think that one of the things that you'll all be aware of is that this is probably not going to be one conversation, is it? It's not like you're going to talk about it and then that's done. It's, it's a kind of continuing conversation every now and again about the stuff that you want to talk about. And, and you may very well know um, Chris Halenga, uh, who goes by Glittering a Turd and has written a fantastic book about her breast cancer um, life. Um, and she talks about how every now and again, something will come on the radio, there'll be something on the news. And she'll just take that moment of saying that I want, I want music like that at my funeral, or, oh, that's the thing that we need to talk about next time we're ready to talk. So she's kind of making a shopping list of the things to talk about. And then every now and again, there's a conversation. So we can make our list. Gillian's got a list fantastic and she's modifying it and adding things to it so that when she can eventually persuade the people she loves who love her too much to dare to have the conversation to start you're only going to get one thing on that list done aren't you and it's there's going to you're going to need tissues and you're going to need lots of tea and it's going to be sad but also it's going to be okay so i think the first thing is that both parties have got to be ready to have the conversation. And so rather than launching into it, we make it an invitation. And particularly when we're trying to talk to people who are our parents, they've had parental responsibility for us. They love us. They want what's best for us. And what they think is best for us is not to talk about this horrible stuff. So actually to say to them, to appeal to their parenting, there's this thing going on in my head that's incredibly lonely and incredibly worrying. And I just need to be able to sort it out with you so I'm not waking up in the middle of the night and worrying about it anymore. Jess and Gillian, have you had support 
in talking about this um, from the medical community and the the medics and clinicians who who you've been dealing with? Way back when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed in 2020. Um, so when I came out of the hospital, things were it was just like a massive shock, and so I did speak to um, a psychologist, but it was over the phone because of COVID, which again is like another thing that we've obviously all had to contend with, um, and it just wasn't it wasn't really for me, like the whole sort of over the phone sort of effort. So effort, I don't know what to call it, um, but the um, she was really helpful to be honest we spoke more about my dad passing which had only happened like sort of the year previous to that but again I, I sort of lost the way with it because it was over the phone and I'm more of a, a person to person and then you know there was no appointments possible like that so other than speaking to the psychologist like sort of a couple of months like once once I'm, I think maybe three times I spoke to her but other than that, and that will be probably a year going by now that I've not spoke to anybody, like none of my medical team, like the nurse or um, my oncologist is very nice and, you know, they're very good, but not really anything with regards to, you know, what we're discussing today. It was really only the, the one psychologist that spoke to me about it, but I kind of maybe gave up on that too, too quickly. I could have, you know, if I'd kept it going, I might have felt more benefit from it but I just got put off by the whole telephone sort of thing um but it's not to say I can't you know go again to that or Clara are there particular things that you wish you'd been able to speak to your mum and your sister about I think with my mum I just wish they'd told me I really, 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 really wish that they'd told me because I feel like then I would have had a series of questions. You know, even as a child, I know it's hard to comprehend, but I also would have had her support. And that's, you know, I didn't have that once she was gone. So I think that I would have been able to, you know, talk to her and have those conversations with her. And I think as children, we're more curious and, you know, we don't, we're not as kind of filtered or stuck in our ways as adults. And so we will just ask the things that we want to ask. But I just didn't know that I needed to. I mean, I was, when she was in the hospice, I was writing letters asking her if I could have another hamster. I just really had no, <laughs> no concept of actually what was going on or what was happening. So I think that I, I just wish that they told me I wish they'd sat me down um, my mum wrote a note to me on the day she died she wrote a note for kind of all of us but it was like a little card that you get with a bunch of flowers so it was really small but it's obviously my most treasured um, possession but I just yeah that that's what I wish with them is that that my parents had made the decision to say look we need to discuss this with the children but I think they didn't even discuss it with themselves between themselves I just think it wasn't spoken about and so you know, I, I guess that's probably why it didn't get discussed with us because they just weren't willing to to address it. And with my sister, in terms of sp specifics, I wish I'd just given her the space and I could have just hugged her and I could have just been there for her because as my big sister, I mean, the amount of times that she did that for me in life in general anyway. Um, and I, you know, my intention of kind of being that, that you know, what everyone's talking about, this kind of jovial, let's do nice things, you know, it's, it's going to be okay, don't think about it, don't focus on that, blah, 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 all of that kind of stuff is, you know, it does come from the best possible place. It does come because you, you love that person and you don't want to think about it. But I just think that, 
giving her that space and being there with her like what's the worst that would have happened in that space yes it would have been uncomfortable but that's all it just would have been uncomfortable and it would have been something that she I'm sure you know would have just freed her and I think it's you know like listening to you guys speak it's it kind of reaffirms for me that you know that exact thing that it it's just your also you want your loved ones, the people you're closest to, I suppose, to they're the ones that can really offer you support. Because as well as, yes, you can talk to a therapist. Yes, you can talk to, you know, other people who are going through same the same things. But you're not as intimate with them. You're not as close with them. And that, that love that you feel and that support that you feel for people that you're that connected to, that's what that's what I can imagine you need in that moment is just to be heard and just to be held. And that's what I wish that I could have been for her. Yeah. Um, and what about if someone just doesn't want to talk about it? What what should we do if we, you know, you love someone, you're trying to give them support, um, but they, they don't want to t- talk about death? I guess from my perspective, and I'm not an expert, then that's entirely, you know, that's their choice. But I don't, I just didn't give her the space to. That's why I have, you know, the kind of, uh, and I was trying to protect myself as well and keep myself comfortable. And I acknowledge that now that it was, you know, I didn't want to go there. And so I just feel like that's obviously the person who has cancer, who's, you know, facing death. That's their choice and it's their decision. But knowing that you can go to that person knowing that you do have that space I can imagine would would make a big difference and when you're ready knowing that you can then you know be like right today's the day something happened today or I was triggered in some kind of way today and I need to talk about this now and knowing that you've got the space to do that uh, yeah because what else can you do other than talk about it what else can you do I'd say yeah and I think if somebody says they, they don't want to talk about it I mean I don't want to talk about it all the time and they'll I don't want to like no there'll be certain times where I want to talk about it and certain times where I don't and um I think if you if you were to say to somebody look is this something you're afraid of and they go brush it off or say I don't want to talk about it you could just say well look if you ever do want to talk about it you know I'm here and leave it open because like you said something which something maybe triggers you or you know yeah, you're just not in the right mood. You have to be in the right mood to talk about this. You have to be like geared up for it and everything. So just knowing that like that taboo has been broken a bit and that that ice has been broken, that you could, you could, yeah, reach out to that person. And also what you were saying about, you know, going back to sort of how um, in terms of my treatment, has anybody talked to me about it? Um, and Gillian, like, I really feel for you because I the same I had, I started to do a... a um, counselling session on the phone and it was all like I really hated it because I just needed that that face to face you just need to be in the same room with a human and and after doing it I felt a mess because I was just left alone on my own without anyone to give you a hug not that a therapist gives you a hug but you're just on your own and you're just like oh I'm just left here with all these thoughts now um I didn't get on with it and I but I have managed to 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 start doing some counselling face to face which I find so much better um really helpful actually but it's still not yeah it's still not your loved one because it even um it makes it such a huge these conversations you know impacting how you live your life as well as thinking about how you're going to die you know you think well as I said life is not how I thought it was or, or um and what you were saying Catherine where you where you when you grew up you knew that life was kind of precarious and fragile and maybe we haven't felt that and now we're suddenly that's hitting home and so you're you well I'm like I want to live my life 
sort of differently. I, I, I don't want to think, oh, I can do that in 10 years or five years. I want to be like, I've got some urgency now. So I, you know, I need to explain that to my husband of like, this is why I'm like, let's, let's do this now because I'm feeling that fear and, and that urgency and they need to understand that to be like, how are we going to live? Um, and even, you know, other things of just like, what, what does life mean? Like, is when it when something can just come and go and be taken away so quickly it just makes you question everything and even having a therapist or counselor to talk to about that I mean my my counselor's been brilliant but she's she's always said oh you know on the NHS you get like about eight six to eight sessions so I'm like that's you know I don't know if I'm going to wrap that up in six to eight (laughs) sessions you need to have somebody that you can keep kind of coming back to and like yeah talk to about it but yeah going back to your point I think it's just keep keep the lines open and um yeah I think and for friends as well like don't be afraid to just ask it sensitively is this something you want to talk to me about is is it something you're afraid of I think Jess you mentioned the thing of triggers and I just wondered if losing high profile people like Sarah Harding is very difficult for you whether you makes you want to talk about it more or or the effect it has on you um i think yeah i think certain certain stories or certain people like hit home with you um maybe like a similar to your experience or um yeah of course it's just tragic like you know her story others as well um that that can and certain ones really, really kind of hit home. Um, yeah, and, and that can kind of hit you out of the blue. And sometimes I, it's been, <laughs> that's the hard thing because I, I don't know about with you, Gillian, but you, you know, you can be fine and you can be like one minute you're okay and then something, and you don't know when it's going to happen. And, and suddenly like it comes up and I've had it like been okay. And then for some reason, like maybe, yeah, it's a trigger or something like it. Like you know, before we're about to go to bed, and I'll be like, "Oh God, this has all suddenly come up," and and now I'm like, and it got all these things whizzing around my head. But you sort of say, "Oh, I don't know." You want to talk about it then, but then it's like it's bedtime, and it's really hard, like actually to to know <sighs> because I guess I guess maybe it bubbles up because you haven't talked about it before as well, and suddenly it's there, and you're like, "Can we can we talk about this?" Or like you'll just start crying or something, and and it's hard for that other person because, you know, they've got a lie. <laughs> of course, they care about you so much, but, you know, they've got to get up for work and then the next morning or whatever. And I think any, like, social media, like I spoke about earlier, was, like, it's very, it's good for you. Like, there's so many things that are addressed. And, but also it's, it's bad because you then see that it doesn't even have to be somebody, like, you know, famous. Like, Sarah, you know, Sarah Harden's story was terrible. And the minute that hit up and you're just like, oh my goodness, she has the same, she's got the same as me, like, how is this possible? But there's so many other wonderful women, or, you know, men, that you see on social media. So the minute something pops up, well, you know, we've lost another, you know, another sort of secondary lady, and it just all hits home, and it's really quite difficult. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. you know, I'll say to my husband, oh, look, there's another one. She was, she was stable at Christmas, and she's just passed away. And you think, it's all like the questions start going around your head, like how is that that possible? And you think, oh, my treatment's working, but then it can just you can you know it just changes so quickly. But again, it's you you try and instigate the conversation, or you try, but oh no, your treatment's working just now. Everybody's different, and it's the same. 
but yeah, go back to like Sister Hadden. It's not just you know just ladies like that. It's other because you follow so many and you become you know you know social media friends. You just see it so so more often, and it's really quite triggering. It's very difficult because then you start questioning things, but then it also makes you do things. You know, whilst you're fitting well, like um, you know. Like I want to go on. I'm 40 this year, so I'm thinking, right, you know, let's you know, let's go on holiday, and I get all like a lot of things to keep my mind occupied and organised and stuff. And then um, it's trying to get my husband to understand that as well because you you don't want to put things off now. You want to be able to, you know, while you're fit and able to do these things, you know, get things booked, things to look forward to, and even trying to get them to understand sort of that is is difficult because, you know there's everybody has their lives as well do you know and you're trying mm-hmm. to get your friends oh do you fancy doing this fancy doing that but everybody has their life so it's it's very difficult to try and you know you know cram things in that you know I'm probably doing things that I might never have done so ever um but you know it's also trying to do these things because you just don't know when it's going to change we always ask our guests to give advice on this program um based on their experiences and and um how they'd like maybe people to behave or respond to situations could i start with you clara on how you advise anybody who either well who's maybe scared of starting these conversations with their children yeah i think with whether it's your you know just your child or a loved one i i guess that yeah it could be scary but i i also just think that we have to understand exactly what Catherine said, that a part of life is death. And although we we live within a society that likes to keep everything covered and shaded and away from us so we don't ever see it and we don't ever, you know, see or, or experience it, it's going to happen to each and every one of us. And what I will say is that had I look back at my life and I just think had my parents have dealt with, you know, my mum's illness and her death differently and that, you know, maybe this is quite a selfish perspective, but my life would have been completely different. You know, it would have it would have turned out completely differently. And I just think that it's it's a hard conversation to have. And as humans, it's probably the hardest conversation that we will ever have, because it's about the fact that we won't be in this on this plane, on this planet anymore in the way that we have always been. We won't be visible anymore. We're going to be gone. We're going to cease to exist, whatever your belief system is. But I just think that we have to start having these conversations because it's so painful on both sides you know we've got Gillian here and Jess here and these are women who are on kind of one side and I'm on the other side as you know having experienced lost my mum and my sister and it seems like there are so many similarities even in that experience but that and the pain is so much and it's just that all we have to do is talk like all we have to do is talk and I know that it's huge and I know it's uncomfortable but it changes everything for both sides and that's why I said you know when I talked about my sister, it's, it is my only regret in my whole entire life that I didn't give her that space, that I wasn't there to listen to her. And I cannot go back and I cannot change it. So even if it's difficult, even if it's the hardest thing that you'll ever have to do, it will be worth it. Catherine, you said, you know, when that you know, grandparents' generation, it was it was much more of a part of life, like death. You know, you, you understood it more, and like you were wishing that that those conversations were had, just so that it was something that you could, you could try and understand before, maybe before it becomes such a like, in your face, emotive thing. Of course, it's always going to be emotive, but before you're at the point where, um, you know, it's it's like 
as if we're, when we're growing up, maybe it is talked about more more openly, more like that you can you can understand it a little bit more before you're having to come at it with this kind of loaded like I'm I'm in this situation now and um, you know I've got so many feelings that I don't understand and and thoughts that I don't understand and you know just um, I think yeah like if it was more in our just consciousness and our like in I don't know how that will happen but we've become we've gone away from it a lot I think um, and because it because it happens less probably in in terms of like childhood and that which is great thank God but it's we've become like so far away that we don't want to think about it and then when you have to think about it you're kind of on your own and you don't understand what that's what that means or what, what how to how to comprehend it um so i would say yeah like trying to if you if you have got someone a friend family loves someone that that need, that is in that position that you want to talk that, that open up so that they have got a channel to talk about it but even if you haven't i don't know who's going to be listening to this maybe if they haven't but but just like maybe let's just bring it out and have it as a conversation you can have and talk and make it a bit more normal and normalize it so that you can try and get your head around it get your thoughts together in a in a way that it doesn't always become so um emotives maybe the wrong it's always going to have a, a bit of emotion of course but it's overwhelming yeah overwhelming yeah i think some people do want to talk about it and um you know as much as it's maybe awkward for you know parents husbands friends just you know take a step back and think well wait a minute if I was in the other person's shoes like the person that's not you know well like somebody if they were in my shoes think oh well wait you know I suppose like they, they might they might actually want to talk about it and you know I suppose it's just sort of open your mind a little bit to the fact that you know everybody is different some people don't want to speak about it um, and, and that's absolutely fine you might find Clara that your sister you know that just wasn't she didn't want to have that conversation with you but I suppose it's um, opening up to the fact that you know people do want to speak about this and just even just a little little and often um, and just put yourself in, in their shoes for you know just a little while might do all the difference how how have the three of you felt about being able to talk about it today? For me, it's been I guess it's reaffirmed what I what I thought. You know, to be able to talk to Gillian, to be able to talk to Jess, has kind of reaffirmed that that belief that I had of the importance of being able to talk about death. And you know, as a broadcaster, it's something that I you know I can only talk from my experience of of being bereaved. But it's something that I talk about all the time that I try and bring into conversation because exactly like Jess said, I really feel like if it was more normalised, and I, and I think we have this kind of this belief that you know talking about death is morbid, and somehow by talking about it, we're we're making it happen or you know we're acknowledging but it is going to happen and just to to live in a society where we do have conversations about death it makes it easier for people who are dying it makes it easier for people who are you know have loved ones that are dying and it also makes it easier for people who are grieving as well because you know it's a whole other conversation but nobody knows how to talk to you when you've lost someone and that is you know that can be isolating as well and humans our biggest or strongest thing is is connection and that's essentially what we're here to do and it feels like when it comes to death 
breath that is missing the connection is missing and so being able to have or be part of this conversation today and to to you know listen to these brave women talk about their experiences and how you know alone they felt and isolated they felt it just makes me you know want to say to people please you know let's just do this because exactly like Gillian said you know it's it, I guess it's that kind of you're you're just I, I just hear her talking and just think you know you're on your own and that you just want to have that conversation and you're just on your own and it's yeah and it I think it just feels much easier to cope with a little or a little bit easier to cope with when you can talk to somebody and you can get their thoughts and you know maybe it makes you think about things in a different way as well that helps I mean we don't have like you know, we don't go, most, some people do, but not everyone goes to church or goes to you know, have like organised religion as a way of like, this is how you think about death. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of just, you've got no like, yeah, you're just on your own there going, how do I make sense of this? So have you found today helpful? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, um, yeah, I hope like, I hope the others have as well. Definitely, definitely helpful. And, you know, obviously it's going to be broadcast and hopefully it helps others mm. as well. And then, like you say, everybody listening to it, whether it be more patients or friends or family, it might just then help, um, you know, help somebody along the line as well. We know that people want to be ready for their dying. And they want to be ready for their dying, partly for themselves, but very largely for the people who they love, who they're leaving behind. And that's universal. So Gillian's list of getting stuff sorted so that everybody's going to be okay, that's a really important thing. If we, if we can't step up and have those conversations, then we're depriving the sick person of their peace of mind around their dying. But we also need to get ourselves ready for our bereavement so that we get to bereavement with less regret and Claire's regret of not having had the conversations or not having taken the opportunity to explore whether or not her sister wanted to have the conversations because that was a brilliant piece of wisdom that she might not have wanted to anyway but but we don't know if we don't ask what we know is that people want to say very specific things and we hear the same things over and over and over and these will not surprise you but if there are people who you want to have conversations with who can't talk to you and you think about the preciousness of that card that Clara has got, these are the things people want to say. They want to say thank you. They want to appreciate and be grateful for not just things we did, but who we are and what we mean to them. Thank you, Catherine. And thank you, everybody, for um, coming on this episode. Jess, Gillian. Clara, uh, thank you for your honesty and your and your courage of, of sharing your stories and experiences with this. Um, I, yeah, well, we're indebted to you. Um, so, and if you want to find out more, there is Catherine's book, which is with the end in mind: how to live and die well. Um, and there's information on the Future Dreams website. Uh, this has been. And then came Breast Cancer, and it's a six foot six and Factory Originals production for Future Dreams. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support, and research. 
If you would like to help us do more, please text WE CARE to 7500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text costs your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only. Always get the bill payers' permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care no info. Thank you again for listening.